This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, it's a guy that has zero regrettable tattoos. Here is the captain. Not true. I have a moose mowing grass on me ass. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are featuring 35K Stout Beer by the good folks over at Against the Grain Brewery. 35K Stout Beer features dark roasted malt and bittersweet coffee flavor and aroma that bursts from this black milk stout. And they tame the full-bodied bitter flavor with the sweet addition of milk sugar. This is a perfect November beer. Garage grade 4 out of 5 bottle caps. And here's some cheers and praise to our good friends that helped us out this week. First up... Cheers to Kayla in Williston, South Carolina. And a big shout out to Joy in Farmington, Minnesota. Next up, a double cheers to Jan and Jana in Seattle, Washington. And a big shout out to Caroline in Arlington, Virginia. Next up, a big shout out and cheers to the Hags. This is Rachel, Brandy, and in memory of Sherlin, who I'm sure is more than just missed. So cheers to the Hags of Anchorage. Everyone we mentioned today contributed to the True Crime Garage Beer Fund by clicking on the old Beer Fund tip jar on our homepage. So cheers to you all. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. And if you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check out our show off the record on Stitcher Premium, and that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. one-year-old murder case is getting fresh attention tonight. Kentucky State Police call it the case of the man with no hands. Now, this is a rendering of what the man might look like. Now, detectives are turning to DNA experts in hopes that it will unearth some new leads. Walter Smith-Randolph is here after talking to investigators. Walter, what did they say? Well, Paul and Kyle, technology has changed immensely since this man was found dead in a barn back in 1989. Investigators hope running his DNA through genetic systems will give them the answers they've been searching for. 31 years have come and gone with no answers. Kentucky State Police want to know who this man is. He was found dead with his hands cut off in a tobacco barn near Dry Ridge. This is what police told us back in 2017 when the body was exhumed. He deserved to go back home. His family deserved to, to know where he was. 
I mean, he was buried in, in Grant County in a pauper's grave with no, no headstone. Back in 2017, DNA was taken and entered into a federal database. But since then, genealogy sites like 23andMe and Ancestry have emerged. That's why KSP is taking a closer look. Technology has come so far, um, and it's, it, it, it makes our job a little bit easier. And, you know, bottom of the line is, is we want to solve these cases, and we want to um, bring justice where justice is served. The DNA Doe Project will now build a family tree in hopes of tracking down relatives of the John Doe. It is a very uh, peculiar and just an odd case, um, you know, just the whole circumstance surrounding it. And it's why it's been so difficult for us to to be able to uh, make headway. Police have previously thought this case may be connected to the mob. Besides this digitally enhanced picture, police don't have much to go on since the hands were removed. That's why they're hoping new DNA technology will be the break they need in this case. It seems like as we get technological advances, some of these old cases we may, in fact, uh, solve more of these. On Sunday afternoon, April 9th, 1989, around 2.45 in the afternoon, farmer C.W. Adams, known as Billy, walked into his large barn. Adams was a tobacco farmer in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, in rural Grant County. His farm was located on Route 22. This is the main road through Dry Ridge called Main Street, which runs north to south through the town of Williamstown to Dry Ridge about four miles apart, and in Dry Ridge, it turns west and heads out of town into very rural pasture and farmland. An overhead view using Google Maps shows nothing but fields and farmland for miles and miles on either side of this part of Route 22. This even today, Captain, in 2021. It was out there that Farmer Adams' barn sat on the roadside in 1989. Neither Dry Ridge nor Williamstown is exactly cosmopolitan. Dry Ridge is a rural town with a population in 2010 of just 2,100 people located in Grant County. Ironically, although it's named Dry Ridge, the area is known for its mineral water wells, which allegedly have healing powers. Williamstown is a bit larger, with a population of nearly 4,000 in 2010. It serves as the county seat, but we are still talking about tiny towns that are off of the beaten path. However, the Williamstown Dry Ridge downtown areas are right off of a major interstate. This is Interstate 75, one of the longest highways in the United States. From this area, Captain, this general area that we're talking about, you could be in Cincinnati in approximately 40 minutes. So here we have Farmer Adams, who utilizes this barn for his tobacco harvest. It's quite a large barn, the kind made out of old gray barnwood boards. Unfortunately, we do not know exactly what happened when he walked into this barn at 2.45 p.m. on April 9th. And it's never been discussed at all how he found what he found. We also don't know when was the last time that he was inside of this barn. And that is a question for obvious reasons that has significant implications given what Adams was about to find. Now in the barn, Adams found a stack of items. These would be typical items he expected to find inside of this barn in a pile, but he did not expect to find them in this pile. And it was extremely puzzling to him. So he starts removing these items from this pile, pulling items from the pile, returning them to their intended locations. And then he stopped because under this pile was the body of a large man. The large man was naked with no clothing nearby. And Adams could tell that there was no rush to call the paramedics. One look at him told him that this man was beyond help. He was dead and had been dead for quite some time. The call to the Kentucky State Police came in at 2.50 p.m. And officers arrived on the scene at 3.15 that afternoon. 
Well, like you said, this is roughly 40, 45 minutes away from Cincinnati. There's so many rural areas around these parts. It'd be a perfect place to dump a victim. Yes, you're exactly right, Captain. And for me, that's what makes it even more confusing as to why the barn was utilized in the first place. But the people out there that are familiar with this story, now this is one of our lesser known stories that we're covering this week, but there will be people in the greater Cincinnati area and in the state of Kentucky that have probably heard of this case before. Again, it's 30 years old. We are trying to identify this homicide victim. And the Kentucky State Police have done a good job of keeping this case in the news throughout the years. It's never really made national news, though, so a lot of people will be hearing this for the first time. But those of you familiar with this case, you're probably sitting at home or in your car or in your garage going, wait a second, I thought that this guy, when they found him in that tobacco barn, that he was hanging inside the barn. And there are several news articles that say that that, in fact, was what was going on, but Guess what? It's simply not true. The hanging part of this story is all a fallacy. It never happened at all. Here is what we know to be true. The Kentucky State Police, the agency in charge of this case, has released very little information about the whole situation. They are honing in on this case and have been for the last couple of years because new technology is making it a situation where they think they can identify this guy sooner rather than later. So this is very much an active case for the Kentucky State Police and kudos to them for keeping it not just active in the news and media, but also active on their desk, right? And an active investigation as far as they're concerned. Yeah, They are fully charged and fully invested in identifying this homicide victim. You can tell by the title of this case that it doesn't need any more hype, but you see that from time to time in different cases where the legend of the case becomes a little more grandiose. Yes, and this will be a case where we will learn some more information throughout the years today. There's still not a lot known about this case, and early on that was certainly the case because the early articles and statements about the man found in the barn all say consistently at first that it was not apparent what had killed this man. Later, they would tell us what in fact killed the man that they found in the barn. Now, early on though, Captain, this is because the body itself was very badly decomposed. His face was described as not recognizable due to the level of breakdown of the facial tissues. He was estimated to have been dead for at least a week, probably two, but the medical examiner was able to determine that the cause of death was two gunshot wounds to the back of the head. His hands had been cut off. The wounds to the lower arms at the wrist level indicated to the experienced medical examiner that the man's hands had been deliberately severed and the hands weren't anywhere to be found. In fact, to this very day, they have never been located. The Kentucky State Police has never revealed any information about the investigation that took place at the location where the man was found, meaning They've investigated the barn, the barn owner, the property owners, but we don't know what that all entailed and what their findings were in regard to the barn, the barn owner, and such. We do know that they executed a thorough search of the barn and the surrounding areas, as one would expect. In fact, we were able to get our hands on the incident report that indicates that the barn was cleared after seven hours or so. Hate to be Captain Obvious, but they took the victim's hands so it'd be harder to identify the victim. Yes, and as we said, Captain, no clothing was found. The man in the barn was naked. No clothes, no jewelry, nothing. The man's missing hands were nowhere to be seen. Well, obviously, the hands would have fingerprints, and so you could look into a database of those. Take the jewelry. Those would be identifiers. Take the clothes. That would be another identifier. Shoes even would be an identifier. And we've seen in some cases, too, where people remove cut skin to remove tattoos, which would be identifiers as well. 
According to the Kentucky State Police, and these are their words that echo what you just said here, Captain, quote, someone had physically removed them from his arms, talking about the hands. Continuing on, they say fingerprints were a large part of technology in that time. We still utilize it today, but they they were very limited. The implication was that whoever had cut off the man's hands did so in order to keep his identity a secret. And so far, here we sit all these years later, and it has worked. Well, when you read the description of this man, one thing that jumps out is he's 6'5". That means he's very tall. So when I heard that, it's very surprising that he has not been identified. I agree, Captain, and that sets off some red flags for me because here we are more than 30 years later, the man with no hands, no identifying personal possessions or marks, and with no recognizable facial features, we're sitting here going who the man in the barn was remains a mystery, and all investigators had to go on to identify him was that limited physical description of his remains, which is as follows age. They put his age at approximately in his thirties, generally believed to be somewhere in the range of 25 to 35 years of age. He's described as a white male height, six foot, five inches tall. And they even break that down saying 77 inches. I've seen some descriptions, captain that have the victim listed at six, four. Uh, but most generally say 6'5", 220 pounds. And as you said, that's a key factor in this case here. Just let that sink in for a bit. This guy was 6'5", that is an exceptionally large human being. A missing persons report of a missing man of that size would be fairly easy to connect to a victim. Right. But we can tell you that although this physical description of the Grant County John Doe, as some have called him, has been entered into NamUs and the DNA Doe Project databases, and his case information is listed in VICAP and NCIC, he has never been identified, and it is believed by the investigators, and I share that opinion as well, that there is no missing persons report that was ever filed on him. And if there was, it's never been able to be a report that the Kentucky state police have been able to get their hands on or their eyeballs on because six foot five, there's not a ton of people that meet that requirement. A couple things. One, this individual could have no family members. Maybe it was only child. Maybe his parents died younger or possibly he's from a very small town from a lot further away than around, let's say, the Kentucky slash Cincinnati area. And so if he went missing in, like, Washington State or something in a very small town, maybe they're not connecting the dots that their son, that maybe that their son ended up in a barn in Kentucky. Let's see what else we know about this guy from a physical standpoint. Uh, his head still had plenty of hair on it, enough to tell investigators that he wore it short and tight. Basically, his hair was in a crew cut with short, well-maintained sideburns. As for eye color that is listed in every source that I've been able to see states unknown. This seems likely because after death, circulation of oxygen to the eyes and frankly everywhere else ceases. So the pupils dilate and the cornea becomes opaque. The eyes obtain a distinct blue-white haze over their surface, which can obscure the true eye color of the deceased in individual. In any event, Grant County John Doe, his eyes are of unknown color, so that does not help to identify him. Well, this report says he's 6'5", white man, around 220 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. There is an FBI VICAP alert poster relating to the Grant County John Doe, which contains more information about his appearance. Besides the estimated height and weight and brown hair, the poster notes that the Grant County John Doe also has a previously healed broken nose. And if you go to FBI.gov, click on the VICAP 
tab there, you'll be able to find a list of unidentified remains that they have listed on the FBI website. The victim also had something that I'm not going to try to pronounce here. <laughs> not in the garage. I'm never going to try to pronounce it, Go Captain. For it. I'm going to spell it out. It's P-L-A-G-I-O-C-E-P-H-A-L-Y. So this is also known as flathead syndrome. Per the Stanford Health website, this is not something that is genetic, but can be caused by a few different things. One is a muscle tightness on one side of the neck. So when the person is a baby, they prefer holding the head to one side or in one position while lying down, which then results in that side of the head flattening over time. It could be a result of prematurity. You know, we have skull bones that are softer than full term babies and they tend to move their heads less often. Again, the head would flatten while lying in the same position for long amounts of time. It also could be a result of in utero crowding. This can occur when there are twins or multiples, or if the mother has large fibroids or an abnormally shaped uterus. So it's not super likely, Captain, but given that information, there's a possibility that our John Doe may have a twin out there or had a twin at one time. Yeah, you can actually get a plastic surgery for this condition. This is also when you hear about doctors wanting to put a baby into a helmet, that's normally because this condition is getting worse and they can correct it by having the child wear a helmet for a certain period of time. Now, there's two kind of versions of this. One where the back of the head is flat and where the head is misshaped. It seems like his version is the one where your head would be flat on an area but not on the back of the head. So causing his skull to be like misshaped. But we're not doctors. We're just two dumb guys that sniff gasoline in the garage. So, of course, we have no idea which of these factors are the case here for our man with no hands. But the key thing is to know that this would be an identifier for somebody out there. His skull was flattened enough to be noted on the physical description of him utilized by law enforcement and missing persons organizations. The Kentucky State Police have said, quote, he had a particularly shaped head, a flat head. The back of his head was flat. That's specific if someone is trying to identify him, end quote. Again, I can't get over the fact that nobody's identified this individual when he's six foot five inches tall. You have to wonder, Captain, if the person or persons, which I think is probably more likely persons, responsible for leaving him in this barn if they knew that he would in fact be identified by fingerprints not everybody out there walking around on this planet or in this country or even the state of kentucky have been fingerprinted you right you have to have those fingerprints on file somewhere to have something to match them to now you wonder would these would the perpetrators here know or have suspicion to believe that he would be would have been fingerprinted at some point either because he was arrested or locked up or there are many jobs that require you to go and get fingerprinted or a thorough background check to be able to work in that position or work with that company i can't find it in the reports that i've looked at but was there a toxicology report done my guess is yes, um, but we don't have that information. They're keeping that information to themselves. Well, hang on just a minute here, Captain, because we have something else that could help with possibly identifying this individual. So we have what they state. This is the final piece, I would say, of the physical description of our John Doe. It's that he had distinctive dental work. So according to the FBI... It was expensive and extensive. Specifically, when our victim was alive, he had a, quote, perfect smile. The dental work included a 10-unit porcelain fixed porcelain-to-metal bridge 
with missing teeth replaced with porcelain pontix, I believe is how you say that. This is a word that I had not heard before, but thanks to uh, an internet search, I know that pontic is an artificial tooth attached to a fixed dental prosthesis. Basically, it's a fake tooth that looks real and looks really good, and it's permanently attached. There is something else that we know, and you were dancing on this, Captain, is that we know how he died. As we said, that the shots that killed this individual were two to the back of the head, and one thing that they have released is that it came from a 22 caliber weapon. So to recap real quick, we have a John Doe that was found naked in a barn on Kentucky Route 22 outside of Dry Ridge, Kentucky. John Doe was found shot in the back of the head, capped twice execution style with a 22. His hands were cut off to evade identification. He was hidden under a bunch of barn items or things that would be stored in this barn. He had a broken nose and his teeth had been replaced at some point with pricey fakes. He had a crew cut and he was a very large man, six foot, five inches tall, 220 pounds approximately. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. It makes you wonder when the when the dental surgery was done. Mm-hmm. Because maybe, again, like I said, this guy has family members. Maybe they passed on. Maybe he had some dental issues and then had them recently taken care of. And, and so he would have been the one responsible for this. If it was done when he was a little bit younger, that makes you wonder well, if somebody cared so much about him to make sure that he had a perfect smile. You, you would think somebody would be coming out of the woodwork saying, that's my son or, or that's my brother or or whoever it is. That's where we come in and we try to help the Kentucky State Police because, like I said, I couldn't find a situation where this is nationally known news or information. Yeah, it's on FBI.gov. It's on some other websites. And if you go search around the Internet, you're going to find information on this case or little news clips. But this is not something that I think everybody was aware of. And when you have a situation where this guy very likely is not from anywhere near the immediate area. If the right information doesn't hit the right person's earballs or eyeballs, then we have a situation where they can't go, well, that was my son or that was my brother or whomever. Now, the other thing too that's difficult is we circle back to a missing persons report, right? Why don't we have a missing persons report of somebody that's this height and this weight Again, it's it's not normal for people to be this large. And my mind starts to go to the idea of, well, maybe this guy didn't originate from this country. And is there a chance that he wasn't here very long before whatever happened to him happened? Right. Right. This homicide, for whatever reason, went down. Is there a chance that he wasn't here very long and mom and dad, brother and sister, or any of his close relatives are just simply not in this country to to say that he's missing. Maybe they've told whomever someplace else, we've not heard from him. We've not heard from our son or our brother or our cousin in all these years. And so I'm sure they're worried about what has happened to him. And that's why the Kentucky State Police want so badly to identify him for a multitude of reasons. One, to tell his family, hey, we found we got bad news, but we found your loved one. Furthermore, we want to seek some justice for this guy. We have no idea who the suspects can be when we don't even know who the victim is. 
Now, one piece of information that has been disclosed that I find to be very interesting is that the Kentucky State Police has stated publicly that the man found in the barn was killed elsewhere. We don't know because they've not given us the details of such how they determined this, but we can deduce that they were probably able to determine that he was not shot in the barn because there was no gunshot spatter, there was no shells, there was no residue or large amounts of blood found in the barn itself. Right. So that seems pretty pretty simple, mm-hmm. but presumably, if none of this is found, it's telling investigators that the murder and mutilation did not go down in the barn. And again, this is interesting because remember... He's a large man. If he was already dead when he was placed in this tobacco barn, as opposed to being forced to walk into the barn and then being shot, then it would almost certainly have required two people to transport him in a vehicle and then move the body into the barn. Right. It's my opinion. I think it's safe to say that this was likely a two-man job, if not more. I don't see how... Look, Captain, you are a specimen. You are a physical specimen. Adonis. Uh, And I do not see how one person, even of your strength, could have possibly moved a 220-pound dead weight. Well, you have to lift with your legs. That distance to the barn. Well, when they mention that it could possibly be mob-related, I'd also throw out the idea of maybe a cartel or something because... Now go with me on this theory. It it might be a little far-fetched, but if you look at the distance between Williamstown and Portsmouth, Ohio, Portsmouth, Ohio, for a long time has been a kind of a hub to have opioids and, and other drugs, and they channel from Portsmouth to Cincinnati, to Columbus, for example. And so if you were heading from Portsmouth to Cincinnati and something happened, once you shoot off one of those main roads, you would find Williamstown. It's interesting to me that they mention mafia or mention the mob. Do you think that's just because of the severed hands? I think that the severed hand certainly has something to do with it, but I think that there's probably a lot of factors, and I'm with you. I don't. I think that they're using the the term mob related, and again, I want I want to be clear to everybody out there in listener land. They're saying possibly they're not locked in or married right. to this idea that it has to be mob related, but I feel like mob is a bit of a blanketed statement that could mean any cartel, any kind of organization working on the down low organized crime. It could be related to that. Why? Again, you got to go back to the fact that this guy does not appear to have been reported missing at any time. It looks like whoever is responsible for this, they either a knew what they were doing or B did a really good job doing it for the first time. Well, this is definitely one of the cases that we've covered and maybe top of the list where when I see the picture that they've done of this victim, how lifelike it is, I believe if we can get enough listeners to share this story and to share his picture all over the internet, somebody will come forward and identify this man after 30 years of not being identified. Well, and that's why I wanted to feature this case and feature it for the Kentucky State Police. Because, again, they are very much invested in finding out who this individual was. And I think that, Captain, maybe we can push this story a little further than what they've been able to do in their years of hard work and effort. But I think maybe we might have the ability to reach some more people at a greater distance that they've been able to reach. I will be taking his image and putting it on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at True Crime Garage. It will also be front and center on our website at truecrimegarage.com. Now, it's never been published what the exact address or location of the barn was. All the reports simply say that it's located about seven and a half miles west of Dry Ridge, Kentucky. And the police report that we were able to get our hands on which it's a very limited report. It's a single page says that the victim was found inside a tobacco barn on Skillcroft sheet metal incorporated farm property 
located on Kentucky Route 22, seven and a half miles west of Dry Ridge. Now, we were able to do a little further digging and confirm the exact location of the barn. So it's located at 8100 Taft Highway. If you follow Route 22 on the map west from Dry Ridge, you can see the rural nature of the location of this large outbuilding. It seems unlikely, even almost impossible, that someone from out of town would stumble on this location and select this one barn in the middle of nowhere at random. As a reporter on local 12 TV news station pointed out, quote, whoever killed this John Doe went to a lot of trouble to hide his dead body. He wasn't killed at the barn, so someone likely drove Interstate 75 South or Interstate 75 North, took the Dry Ridge exit, and drove seven miles out of town to pick out the barn. I directed horror films. I would use tobacco barns in all my movies. I think they're absolutely creepy looking. They almost look like there's uh, like bats, like big human-sized bats, or like the Mothman is like hanging upside down. If you don't know what a tobacco barn looks like the first time you see one in person, it, it can shake you up. Like, what is that? And then once they explain it to you, obviously, it, it, it makes a lot more sense. But it really looks like almost these giant bats are hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, tobacco leaves are large. And nobody really likes bats. But you do not want to encounter a large group of really big ones. <laughs> right. Or mothmen. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I've never been personally been inside of a real life tobacco barn, but I've seen them on TV and seen the tobacco leaves hanging from the rafters. And I get a good idea of what you're talking about here, Captain. Yeah. The first time I came across one, I was going onto my buddy's farm land and I parked the car and it was, it just became dark. And all you could see is these things in the barn kind of swaying back and forth and from a distance i was like are those bats or birds or or maybe even like deer carcasses just hanging like i i couldn't tell what they were uh from that distance and like i said in the dark here's the thing for me and while we're on the subject of the barn tv images of this barn show that it is a very large outbuilding it's very close to the road in fact, I would say almost right next to the road. Yeah, it's not far. The road is a small two-lane roadway winding through the countryside and pasture land. If someone was looking for a structure to place the body in, well, then this barn would kind of just jump out at you. Gotcha. Because it's very visible. But to me, that begs the question, why inside of the barn and why this barn? There are plenty, there's plenty of land around there, hundreds of thousands of acres where a body might never be found. And look, take this uh, an extra step here. Clearly, when they're removing the hands, they don't want their victim to be identified. Right. Why? Because identification of this victim probably leads the authorities directly to the killer or killers would be my guess. And I'm guessing, Captain, that Kentucky State Police, that's why they're holding back so much information in this case, because they know that or believe that to be true as well. So why, if you're so concerned about this man, the victim being identified, why place him in a barn and then pile up a bunch of barn shit on top of this guy? Why wouldn't you take him out in the middle of nowhere and bury him? You know what I mean? It seems to me like that would be more likely. Or do we have a situation where there is reason that he was in that barn, mm -hmm. that it has something to do with, with persons close to the perpetrator or the perpetrators themselves? Again, we know that the owner, barn owner, property owner, everybody was looked at and investigated, but we don't know what the finding or the results of that inve investigation was. Well, a couple things here. Were they trying to frame somebody or cast suspicion on somebody else? I get what, you know, I'm picking up what you're putting down, but we're also, again, they're, they're saying 220. He, he might have been a little heavier, 
But he's a big boy. Like you said, it's close to the road. If you have two individuals, we can put him in this barn, try to conceal him. That's going to give us a little extra time. Taking his clothes, severing the hands, this is going to give us even more time. But how far would they be able to carry this individual Mm -hmm. from their car to this land? I mean, because if you just bury him in the middle of a a field, the farmer is going to see that. He's going to say, well, what the hell happened here? So maybe they thought by putting him in the barn that's close to the road, we can conceal him. Because a lot of times when we, we have these victims that can be identified very quickly, they're discarded on the side of the road like trash and in an open field for somebody to uh, come along and identify that it's even a body quickly. Well, and I'm putting down what you're picking up here, Captain. So after the autopsy was done on our John Doe, he was buried in an unmarked grave in Dry Ridge, where he was, say, buried for the next 28 years. Now, in 2017, there was a renewed push to identify him. A sketch of his face was done by a forensic artist. Now, this is not the the sketch that you're going to see when you come to truecrimegarage.com because there's been advancements on this sketch. The original sketch was prepared in 2009, and this showed what his face was estimated to have looked like before it was decomposed. Now, that black and white image showed a man with a smile, very straight white teeth, prominent cheekbones, and a crew cut. It's a distinctive face in that sketch, but it's a drawing. It's so it, it doesn't really look like anyone real to me. It was in 2016 that a computer-aided image, the one that you will see when you go to truecrimegarage.com, was prepared, and this was based on bone structure of our John Doe. So this is a digitally enhanced image that looks much more like a black and white photograph. Right. It shows a more menacing-looking man, some have said, with a very square jaw, a broad face and broken nose. Notably, reports accompanying the release of this sketch included that the John Doe had brown eyes, like you pointed out there, Captain. And that was the first, to my knowledge, that they were indicating what they believed the eye color of this man was. So obviously, when they find a man with no hands, I mean, that perks the ears up, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What, what about more of this urban legend of, of him being him hanging from the barn? Yeah, that was kind of the story in the beginning, and it seems like that story has survived a little bit over the decades that have passed, that when his body was located, he was found hanging inside the barn, which we pointed out at the top of the show is just frankly not true. And we know this based off of, again, Kentucky State Police, they're holding a lot of information close to the vest here, and kudos to them because I think they're going to identify this guy sooner rather than later. So I don't blame them for doing so, and they were very helpful when we reached out to them. They basically said, look, we can answer a couple questions, but we can't go into great detail on some of the things that we know. They did confirm, however, that he was not hanging in the barn. They did confirm that the one report that we found that said he was inside the barn found underneath a pile of barn type items right that that is in fact true that and i don't know what these items were there's no description ever given i don't know if these are seed sacks or hay bales or 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 what have you or farming tools nut sacks could be any number of things including lots of nut sacks but they were able to confirm that for us so thank you to the kentucky state police now well hold on a second because this individual was shot twice in the head. Yes. So if he was hanging, to me, you're trying to make a statement. Right, but he uh, he wasn't. He simply wasn't. Right, He was, which makes sense because you would not take that individual's, you would not sever his hands if you're trying to make a statement because you'd want people to know that you did this to this individual, uh-huh. to me. That that would make the most sense if if this individual was shot and then they went through the trouble to hang him from the raft, rafters in a tobacco barn, it's to make a statement. And so the fact that they try to cover up this individual, to me, it's again just another step to cover up his identity. And like you said, 
that's probably going to lead them to his killer. His identity is probably going to lead him to somebody that is going to stick out like a sore thumb. It's even, I mean, the, the placement of the body makes zero sense to me. Not see, that it, it, see, it doesn't doesn't make zero sense to me. Huh? Not that it shouldn't. Not that it should make any sense to me. But the thing is, like, why place him in the barn? If you do, why go to the extra effort of piling all these items on top of him? It's not like whoever's go- entering the barn isn't just going to clear all those items and find him. Now, as back to your original question, but about- hold on. The the other thing about the tobacco barn is there's a definite smell from tobacco. So maybe maybe they thought if we put him in this barn and we put some stuff over him, look, we all know buddies that have like big barns and they know every item in that barn and where it was moved and the last time it was moved. So I think maybe they thought, okay, the tobacco smell will help cover up the decaying body. We we put some stuff onto him to con- conceal him and maybe it's months before he's found. Because, I mean, you did say his face was badly decomposed. Mm-hmm. So that makes me wonder, what well, was he killed somewhere else and left somewhere else for a while and then they moved the body? Or was the decomposition done with inside that tobacco barn? That's a great question. And that's why at the top of the show I brought up the fact of we don't know the last time that this C.W. Adams went into the barn. That right. would be really interesting to know, number one. And again, it would be interesting to know, people were probably scratching their heads going, why does the colonel care so much? It would be interesting to know what items were piled on top of this John Doe, because again, I would think it would be, it would just be even more obvious to the individual entering the barn that, hey, there's something there. These items have been moved where you could, again, we're kind of speculating and spinning our tires here. I just wonder if you could have delayed the discovery of John Doe even further by just placing him in a dark corner somewhere in this barn. But as you pointed out so astutely there, we don't know. It could be the fact that this guy was placed in there relatively quickly after he was killed and just not discovered for weeks or months and that the decaying process took place inside the barn. But well, check Circling this out. back to your your original question here, Captain, mm-hmm. is where I think that the folklore, the local legend of the man in the barn being found hanging in the barn, I think it came from the original coroner who Fummy. referenced John Doe as possibly being hung because we have his comments that are, to me, reason to believe that the whole myth of the uh, right man hanging came from him. So my best guess here, again, we don't have the autopsy to confirm this. It's not available anywhere. But my best guess here is that there's a chance that they may have found some kind of ligature mark or maybe even some kind of ligature still on John Doe's neck. There, The original coroner earlier said, quote, they hung him which we know based off of the information from the police is not true. So you wonder then was there an attempt to strangle this man before he was eventually shot? Yeah. Or he could have got into a altercation with the individual. He's choking the individual. He's being choked by the murderer. Guy pulls out a gun, puts two in his head and goes, well, his hands were around my throat. I need to sever his hands. So they take the, whatever DNA off. But back to, like you said, when would this farmer be in the barn last? This is why I think it's not a bad dumping part. Drying tobacco is is kind of a curing process, which can take between three and eight weeks to properly prepare tobacco for use. Mm -hmm. So if you know that, and maybe you know more about what tobacco looks like when it's freshly hung, that you would know, hey, if I put this individual here, they might not come out and check on this tobacco for eight weeks. That gives you quite a bit of head start. Exactly. I'm just of the belief, and I could be very wrong here, I think if this guy was local, if our John Doe was local, even remotely local. Yeah, I agree. That they would have have been able to connect him to some kind of missing person or 
or otherwise. We do have to point out some of the more recent movement on this case. And this comes back from uh, 2017 when they decided to exhume the body of our John Doe. And what they did here, Captain, was they severed his arms above the elbows and then sent the detached limbs to the FBI's laboratory. This is to serve a twofold purpose. One, there are hopes that the FBI can determine what type of implement was used to cut off his hands by examining the limbs for tool marks and so on. The other is for the purpose of DNA extraction. The arms sent to the FBI would contain DNA-rich material that will provide a genetic profile of this victim. And once the DNA profile of the John Doe is isolated from his arm tissue, it's then entered into CODIS, a database of criminal offenders and missing persons that did not exist in 1989 when his body was located. They might be able to pull DNA that's not his mm-hmm. off, off his limbs. And so far, they've done their best, but to this date, no hits have been obtained. Now, the uh, next step in this case was for the state police to arrange for John Doe's DNA profile to be provided to the DNA Doe Project to commence the forensic genealogy process. So if we can't find a match directly to him in any of the databases using his DNA, which we now have, did not have in 1989, they're hoping that now we'll maybe we can find a relative or a twin of this individual or a family tree of our John Doe and find out through contacting them and other scientific measures to figure out who this guy was. Again, I'm of the belief that once they identify our John Doe, it's going to lead you to probably a very short list of suspects. Well, have you ever heard of the Grateful Doe? The Grateful Doe. Pretty interesting story, the Grateful Doe. The reason why he was called Grateful Doe was he was found wearing a Grateful Dead t-shirt. The man was killed in a car accident on June 26, 1995 in Greensville County, Virginia. Now, his body remained nameless until December 9, 2015. And eventually his mom came forward because, and, and this is all stemmed from computer generated images of Jason. And so once they were able to put those out on Facebook, his mother was able to come forward and say, that was my son. He actually went missing. He went missing because he went to follow the Grateful Dead and then was killed in this car accident and then his body remained nameless, like I said, but it was all solved through social media. So as much as they're trying to do very good work on this case, I think the best chance we have, look, I really believe that the true crime community can get behind this case, share his image, share his image on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Let's get this guy identified. Let's send this guy home. Yes, crowdsourcing can be a powerful and important tool in these types of investigations, and so can the science as well. And I'm glad to report to everyone that in June of 2021, the DNA Doe Project posted in regard to this very case that the they have funded the case. They were fundraising to raise funds to be able to do some of the work on this case. Their goal was $3,000. Major funding for this case was provided by Patty Sullivan, and they were able to reach that goal. So a big thank you to Patty Sullivan and all of the other donors that contributed to the DNA Doe Project for not just the Grant County John Doe case, but all of the others. So what does this mean? It means that they have secured sufficient funding to pay for the forensic genealogy process in the Grant County John Doe case. So now, while they run their investigation and their forensic genealogy process, 
We can crowdsource his image, crowdsource his information, which that stuff is still information that's needed anyway. Right. Even if you, even if we're able to link him to a family tree or figure out who this guy was, we need to know as much about him as possible. Again, I think it's going to lead to a short list of suspects once he is, in fact, positively identified. One thing I want to point out, though, Captain, when we're talking about crowdsourcing and one thing that you hit on right from Jump Street here is, again, the height of this individual is very important. That separates him from a lot of other potential unidentified individuals or even missing persons that there were reports filed for. So the VICAP, according to the FBI, he's listed at six foot five inches tall. Just to give everybody a bit of reference in the power of that little piece of information, I went on to the Charlie Project's website to look at known individuals that have been reported missing. And with a simple search of typing in John Doe's height, the return was zero. That there were zero missing males, according to the Charlie Project, that are listed at six foot five inches tall. Now, if we take that down, right, let's say that maybe he's listed at six foot four. Whoever reported him missing thinks that he's six foot four inches tall. There's 110 males that are missing that are six foot four inches tall. Some of them, the majority of them, in fact, the overwhelming majority of them have been reported missing after this guy's body was found in that barn. So it cannot be them. Well, it could be them because somebody goes missing and you're reported missing afterwards. And then if you take that number and go up to six foot six inches tall, there are just 14 males that are listed on the Charlie Project's website. So again, that's a powerful piece of information in this case. A powerful piece of information in this case will be what they believe he looked like, his likeness that we now have that computer image of. And it's very detailed, in my opinion. The captain's going to put it on the website, and you'll be able to check that out at truecrimegarage.com. Now, the question is, could be, why bother with this at all, right? There's a lot of work going on in this 30-year-old case. There are plenty of recent homicides that are unsolved. Right. Why push this to solve this one from 1989? Now, some members of law enforcement involved in this case have commented directly on that. Per Fox 19 News, quote, there's some family somewhere. They're wondering where their uncle, their son, their brother, where they're at, and they deserve to have that peace of mind. This is a quote from the Kentucky State Police. And it goes on to say, we are very hopeful that we are going to get a match. We don't have any family to contact. It's really sad. The family, they never had that peace of mind. There's someone out there who's missing a son or an uncle or a dad. And as you pointed out, Captain, the Kentucky State Police share and echo your words exactly. They say he deserves to go back home. His family deserves to know where he is. He was buried in a pauper's grave with no headstone. Yeah, so it's a pretty simple call to action. If you can share this image with friends and family, if you can share it on social media, I think we might be able to make a difference in this case. And I want to take this just a step further, right? Because, of course, it's not just for humane or sentimental reasons that we want to identify the Grant County John Doe. We... True Crime Garage want to identify him and remind everybody out there that this guy was murdered. Someone murdered him. And that murderer has gotten away with it for decades. Now that we have the ability to use modern science to provide answers, no matter how old the crime is, it's a worthwhile undertaking to try to bring closure to families and justice to the victims no matter how old their cases may be. Well, and I think we both agree with him being such a large individual. There's probably more than one individual responsible. So it's two or more bags of shit that need to be held responsible for this heinous crime. So please take a minute to go to our website, truecrimegarage.com. Look at this individual. 
to see if you can help. If anybody out there listening has any information on this case or the identity of this individual at all, please contact the Kentucky State Police at 859-428-1212 or FBI VICAP at 800-634-4097. Thank you guys so much for joining us here in the garage. If you'd like to have an evening with me, the captain, you can do so in Champaign, Illinois on December 11th. The show starts at 6.30 and we'll be doing a meet and greet afterwards at 8 o'clock. It's at the Blind Pig Company and that's in Champaign, Illinois. Get the tickets at CaptainFatHands.com. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading this week? This week we got a little recommended listening. Check out the Beyond Bizarre True Crime podcast. This is a weekly podcast with a different guest host or host each week coming from the world of true crime podcast and the guests select the case and tell you about this truly bizarre case in their own style and newsflash here, the old captain and Colonel. Well, we hosted last week. So make sure you check out the beyond bizarre true crime podcast, wherever you get your podcast and join us back here in the garage next week. Until then be good, be kind and don't let it. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.